Welcome to my favorite family heirloom podcast. I'm Jeff. And I'm Carolyn. On this episode, we're going to have Nick on, and he's going to talk about a special photo album that belonged to his grandfather, and we're going to talk a little bit about care and preservation of photo and scrapbooks. All right, so welcome to episode three of My Favorite Family Heirloom. This time we have Nick on the show. Welcome, Nick. Hi, thanks for having me. All right, so can you tell us a little bit about your favorite family heirloom? Yes, what I have is a bunch of newspapers that my grandpa Clarence collected throughout his life. He's got a lot of important events like Pearl Harbor, John Glenn, a lot of other interesting interesting headlines, Kennedy headlines. But what I really want to talk about is he has multiple newspapers from VE Day in Paris, where he was stationed in World War II. And uh, with it, I have his photographs he took on that day of the streets, Champs-Élysées, uh, where, where his office was, looking at the Arc de Triomphe with people in the streets celebrating at the end of the war. Very cool. So he has this picture, and you can see the Arc de Triomphe with all these people out in the streets and that's what it is it's him taking this picture yep from his office yes he was a clerk he handled complaints by civilians against the u.s army i imagine there are so quite like a if, few of them. yeah he didn't go into a lot of specifics <laughs> on what exactly those were but it'd be people that found weapons that they turned in or just any type of um well the soldiers were stationed in in homes with mm. with people so because there were no barracks. It's oh, Paris, so they're I in homes with that. with the French. So any type of disturbance or any anything that happened would come through his office of you know a claim against the U.S. for what the soldiers had done. Oh, interesting. So was he was in the military working as a clerk? Yes. Okay. Yeah, he was in the army, and he was um, he was a chief warrant officer at the end of the war. And he ran that office. He was stationed first in in England and then in Paris after we were back in Paris. Okay. Very cool. So uh, when did you first become aware of your uh, grandfather's collection and the photos? I had seen his stacks of papers that he would show us um, from a very young age. Um, he was very proud of all his papers that he had collected. He always would. He was proud of having them, but would also talk about how they were just junk that somebody would throw out someday. Um, even though he kept them so long, um, I would always tell him he was wrong, but, uh, and here we are, I still have them, (laughs) but he'd be surprised that we kept them because he would always talk about how he didn't know why he still had this junk and then he would keep it. (laughs) You proved him wrong. Yes. (laughs) He was like that with a lot of things where he downplayed the importance of what he had done or what he had kept. So where were these located in his house? He kept these downstairs. Um, he had a little rec room where he kept his the, the table he used as a desk. So it was like in his, um, you know, recreation type of room where he'd go away by himself. So I just had him out on a, on a table. Oh, so he, he actually had them uh, displayed then? Yeah, yeah. Kind of just out to be able to be a talking point to people. And, and it, same with the, uh, the, photos. the photographs he has these um like scrapbook binders where he's you know putting the little tabs to put all these little photos in because mm-hmm. he took so many photos 
overseas and he marked all of them so he wrote oh wow they're all written on so the back of this one says ve day the 8th of may 1945 arc de triomphe and the crowds taken from office at 127 champs elysees that's mm -hmm. really wow that's very uh specific exactly <laughs> yep and he has basically i think every newspaper he could get his hands on so he has several in french um, it's got Loba and the Nouvelle de Matin, and then um, some of the really interesting ones are the the ones that were printed for soldiers overseas. Mm. He had a New York Herald Paris edition, as well as this stars the and Stars Stripes. and Stripes in the European theater. So printed in Paris for the soldiers, but in English says victory nazis reveal surrender to western allies russia in may 8th, 1945 so it's very clear that the day was a big deal for in his life right yeah it seems like he went Definitely all his way after to serving yeah exactly and he would always say how you know nobody shot at him and he didn't shoot at nobody but <laughs> um he would downplay his own role because he was a clerk mm -hmm. but he served overseas for three years. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about uh, his background. How did he get into the, the military and his service? He was drafted, um, but he had, before that, he, he had uh, signed up for the CCCs, mm. Civilian Conservation Corps, and he had uh, fought forest fires in um, an island in Lake Superior. I'm not thinking of the name of it right now. But he was uh, he and other young men were there fighting a forest fire. In a national park. So um, he had had, you know, similar experiences of being with a group of guys with, you know, interesting living conditions, mm -hmm. performing a task. <laughs> mm -hmm. But then he was he was drafted and um, he actually was training to be in a machine gun uh, battalion. He was learning to break down and assemble a, a machine gun on a tripod and one man carried the machine gun, one, one man carried the, the tripod, and then they came around looking for people who could type, and he could. <laughs> Otherwise, he would have probably had a very different military career with a machine gun. Um, but he lucked out and ended up you know, being a clerk, performing a vital task that was much less dangerous. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so what year was he drafted? I want to say in 42. Okay. Yeah. Because he spent, right after he was drafted, um, he spent some time in New York helping the New York Police Department as a soldier before they, because they couldn't move everybody overseas fast enough. So he was there for many months just as auxiliary police. So he has a lot of pictures of that as well, of being with the officers there but while they were waiting for a boat, basically. So there weren't enough boats. <laughs> Another thing he likes to talk about is... Um, how he was promoted they there were they were growing the army so quickly because we were at war so they're creating new departments and new divisions so at one point he was promoted two ranks in one day he was informed you're being promoted okay and then he got two ranks the same day and then three days later he was promoted two more ranks because he needed they needed that many of a certain rank and then he had his own office he was shipped somewhere else to be in charge of an office and so in the span of a week he went up like quadruple his pay or something just oh, wow. insane change in his living conditions and then 
he ended up being a chief warrant officer, which is a non-commissioned officer. You're a, you can, I'm not sure of the complete details, but he's got, he has some of the perks of an officer, but less of the responsibility. So it's a really nice place to be kind of in between. Oh. You're an enlisted officer, not a commissioned officer. If I remember correctly, it'd be kind of above a sergeant, but it would be yeah. not necessarily like a lieutenant or something. It's above master sergeant, but it's yeah. uh, you know it wouldn't exist in in uh, a fighting division. Right. It's a position of authority, but not not a lieutenant exactly. And I think some some pilots get kind of the chief warrant officer Got rank it. rather than being like a lieutenant or something like that. Mm-hmm. So if you were to pick like three of the photos that are most interesting to you, which ones would you yeah, choose? I just love the one of him on on the balcony of his office overlooking Arc de Triomphe. On the um, his, he, yeah. yeah. So it goes it goes with this one. It's you can see him smiling with the Arc de Triomphe in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, and just so many. It's just interesting looking at, you know, how you find the little moments of happiness mm. even when you're at war. Even in England, and at that time, um, it would have been the the Axis powers held France. So I mean, they're being bombed in England, right. and he's uh, there. His pictures are mostly out in the country, but I think they're outside of London. And uh, you know, it's funny how they find little. He's got little pictures of little picnics, and you know, whatever they could do to find a little bit of peace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's just nice to have that window into that time. Trying to find it here, but now did he talk much about his experiences during the war? He did, and like I say, he tried to downplay his importance, but um, he was very proud of serving, and um, you know, it seemed to really shape him. He was it, it was what what he found value in of his time there. So it's what he talked about a lot. Even though, you know, it's a span of three years and he he just passed a few years ago at 96. And you're talking about three years of his life and it's what he talked about the most. Hmm. So. Would he talk about the good times, the bad times, both? He mostly talked of good times and interesting times. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was talking about, another story would be after VE Day, um, which was in May, he was stuck in Europe until December because there were so many millions of men being routed to the Pacific and also back home. So he was, they were just there doing nothing waiting to go home. And he and his commanding officer and another man got permission to take a Jeep and they just drove South into Italy and, uh, which it's Italy. The war just ended. And he's like, one of, one of them got word that their name had come up. So they had to drop him at some base, and he flew back and missed most of their trip, their their vacation, basically, that they took. He took with his superior so they'd have permission to go. And uh, then when they finally, like, two weeks later, they got back to their base, and the guy was waiting there. He didn't go out. He <laughs> wasted, you know, he flew back to Paris to fly home and didn't make it. They didn't, they didn't send him home, so he wasted the trip. So. Oh, no. <laughs> he has this little funny moments like that, and... um. He stayed in France with two women in an apartment um, where, he, where he was housed. And there, he has a funny letter, which I didn't inherit that, but um, 
sent to him by them after after he got back of how lonely this girl was that he left there and it's this it just goes on and on about how she just sits there not you know not doing anything she doesn't even eat and then he t- it, and then he tells us it was this huge doll they had in the house <laughs> so it's Susie that was you know they sent him a hilarious letter he's <laughs> like and you wouldn't know it by reading it's like oh he's you know left this girl heartbroken and what you know what do we not know about him but it's some doll <laughs> that is fantastic. Well, it sounds like he had a good time with them. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, did he speak at all about his experiences on VA Day itself? VE Day? Just about, just about the, you know, that wasn't his favorite story, I guess. He would talk about these pictures and just the people, you know, celebrating in the streets, but um, not, not a whole lot of detail more than that. Just how, you know, excited everyone was to not be a, fearing anymore especially you know you're there you're on the line, front lines in paris and you know there, he's bunking with with these french women who it had been invaded you know right. so uh-huh. um he didn't talk a lot about the negative parts or or even about that celebration day but obviously he has like six different papers he grabbed all of them and all the pictures so so what do the uh the photos and the the newspaper uh, clippings. How do they? How do they make you feel that you have those in your possession now? I'm just so thankful to have had the time to get to know him and hear hear his story about the pictures and the papers firsthand, and that um, I have more than a dozen cousins, and I'm the one that got both of these. Um, I don't know how that worked out, but uh, I'm not complaining. <laughs> so I'm just happy to, you know, gotten the time to get to know him when he lived till '96. And as I was saying earlier about his, uh, how he downplay his role in the war, um, we tried to get him to do the, what is that? The honor flight? The honor, the honor flight. Yeah. yeah. We were trying to get him to do the honor flight, and he just didn't feel like he deserved it, or he wasn't really very specific about why not, but he wouldn't go. And then one of the funny times we had was watching the, the honor flight video, because they have a promotional video trying basically to convince people to come and he's like why are these people so old because he has aged so well at 96 yeah. like they he looked 10 or 15 years younger than them and he was kind of young in the war but even so he's like why are they so old it's just such a funny time watching it with them <laughs> did he go through these photos with you yes and we'd ask him about the people in them, uh, he has pictures with different officers, and you know it's the best part is he's written on all of them. Yeah, like that's most pretty unusual. Them, most of them are titled, which is just you know where did he find the time to do this? But um, let's grab a random one here, and of course it's going to be one without anything. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> but most of them, you know, he'll be posing with somebody, and it says, "This is Lieutenant So and So, and this is the date." And the location, much like the one that that you read earlier about mm, the, the so it says exactly what it is, yeah. the address he's standing at taking it. Right, right, <laughs> right. That's gold. Yeah. You don't normally see anything. Like yeah, that. I mean, you could so, go back to Paris and go exactly. right to this place. My aunt and uncle have gone right there and and taken pictures from there. And it's a different office now, obviously. Um, it's third floor, but 
Yep. What does this, um, this scrapbook and the newspapers mean to you? I just love that it's a window into his life. Helps me remember the stories he told me. Um, especially with the details written on the back that I'm so lucky to have. Mm -hmm. um, it means a lot that I got this out of all my dozen cousins. Mm -hmm. So he ha like specifically put down that you get No, this. I just lucked out. Okay, okay. <laughs> Partially, I think, because of our part in finding out his past, mm. uh, we got a preference of getting some things related to that. Um, we've been scanning them to share with everyone, but there's only one original. Right. Well, thanks for sharing the clippings and the photos, Nick, of your, your grandfather, Clarence. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's fun to talk about. Thanks for sharing the stories. Okay, photo and scrapbook preservation. Carolyn, what would you recommend to preserve the scrapbook going forward? Scrapbooks can be tricky. Scrapbooks are made for long-term use, but early scrapbooks were really not made very, very well for that. So um, a lot of times the pages were full of acid and the binding was unable to be adjusted um, for bulging pages and often it's hard on the binding. So it can be an issue keeping scrapbooks long-term. So there's uh, three tips. One is um, to store small and medium scrapbooks. You can store them upright on a shelf, but make sure they're fully on the shelf and they're not sort of falling off the shelf because um, you need them to be fully supported. Another issue is well with all the acid in the paper and the acid of the newspapers in them. Um, that can be a real issue because acid can migrate into other items on the page and so you want to be careful to keep things full of acid away from them. So one thing you could do is put in some acid-free tissue paper in between the pages and that'll help so it won't um, bring the acid from one page to the next. But you have to be careful because the binding is very sensitive on these scrapbooks because they're often so full and the binding wasn't created very well. So you have to be careful as to how much you put into the scrapbook because the binding could break or be damaged. Right, that makes sense because the more paper you'd add in between the pages, the further apart they would spread the binding and it might pull apart or damage the binding. Right. Um, another thing is if it's a more, if it's a larger scrapbook, you would want to perhaps put it in an acid-free box or find a box that will work well with it. You can put it with other things, but make sure the things aren't touching unless there's some sort of tissue paper, acid-free tissue paper in between, because you, again, you don't want the acid to get on your other things in there. Another issue is light. So you, you'll, a lot of times people will put them in boxes because they don't want light on them because the light can damage the things in the scrapbook and the scrapbook itself. So keeping it away from light is important. And what about um, the debate between keeping a scrapbook or photo album together or separating the items out of it? That touches on the issue uh, of original order that archivists talk about and... Uh, the thing, you have to look at it in each instance. I think that sometimes it, when things are together, they're together for a reason. They tell a story being all together that you couldn't, that it wouldn't be told if everything was separate. 
So if the things tell that story together, you'll want to keep them together. If they're just a bunch of stuff that doesn't really correlate to one another, then um, keeping them separate might be an option. Right. And another idea maybe of keeping them together too is if you have um, maybe one photo that you can identify, they might be nearby other photos with the same people in them. So you might be able to deduce who people are from context of the photos. Uh, if they're put into a certain order, that would make sense. Or also what they did on the trip they were on, or you can you can get more information about what went on in, in the photos and, and what the story that the scrapbook is telling based on what's close by each other. Once again, we'd like to thank Nick for coming on my favorite family heirloom podcast and sharing his photos and scrapbook with us. And thanks for listening to another episode of My Favorite Family Heirloom. You can find our website at memorykeepersguide.com. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter and look for us at iTunes. And stay tuned for our next episode. Once again, I'm Jeff. And I'm Carolyn. Thanks for listening to My Favorite Family Heirlooms podcast.